the first step on the road to accepting your condition is learning to talk about it and be as open as possible with people. It does sound scary at first, but it really will do the world of good. Hello and welcome to the Blind Spot Podcast, episode four. Uh, the date is 15th of March, 2016. I'm Reese, the director and co-founder of the Blind Spot and still your reluctant host. At the Blind Spot, we strive to uncover the truth behind the headlines and to present the stories that are hidden from sight. Last December, Yasmin, who you might have heard interview Raj Gill on activism in episode two, wrote an article for the website titled Epilepsy and Me about her experiences living with epilepsy. She is here today with her mum, Kate, to talk about epilepsy, the topic for the next two episodes. So what exactly is epilepsy? Well, a few facts from Epilepsy Action. Epilepsy is the tendency to have recurrent seizures. There are around 40 different types of seizure, and a person may have more than one type. Epilepsy can affect anyone at any age and from any walk of life. In the UK, 600,000 people are affected, and epilepsy is a neurological condition. But don't take that from me. Take it from somebody that has lived with epilepsy for the last 11 years. And uh, this is where I'm going to introduce Yasmin. Hello, Yasmin. Hi. Hi, everyone. <laughs> and Kate. Hello. So, Yasmin, start us off by reading your article that you posted on the site in December. Okay, so my article was entitled Epilepsy and Me, and I posted it on December the 13th. I hope you'll enjoy it. Just over 11 years ago, I had my first epileptic seizure at a friend's 14th birthday party. We had all been doing karaoke in her front room when I fell to the ground mid-song and began to convulse. When my head first began to fall backwards, some of my friends had thought that I was jokingly singing a high note, but when I kept on falling, they realised that something was wrong. My first seizure was unique in that unlike any other that I have had since, I was semi-aware of what was going on around me. Although I had no control of my body and could not see anything, I could hear my friends screaming. Unsurprisingly, this was quite a jarring experience for everyone. After having a second seizure a few months later, I was diagnosed with epilepsy. Although I initially felt embarrassed, my friend's presence during my first seizure was something that I would later be grateful for. I know through talking to other epileptics that trying to explain the condition can be very difficult as epilepsy and all that comes with it can be very challenging to convey to someone with no experience of it. It is an invisible disability, making it easy for others to forget and impossible for strangers to know that you have it. Because of this, the condition is one that you must try and learn to talk about, not just for safety reasons, but in order to emotionally come to terms with the part that it plays in your life. As personal experiences with it vary so greatly, there is no neat definition that it applies to all. I am, however, going to try and describe my own experience with epilepsy here. Since my first seizure, I have had over 70. This is due mainly to the fact that I have not yet found a drug that has fully controlled my condition. Often I have found that the various medications are more tiring than the epilepsy itself. As my epilepsy remains uncontrolled, I have been prescribed many different types since being diagnosed. Unfortunately, the subjectivity present within epilepsy means that treatment for the condition largely relies on trial and error. Changing from one medication to another can take several months, and during these adjustment periods, side effects can feel much more pronounced. 
As I am writing this, I am on three different anti-epileptic drugs, with one decreasing in dosage and another going up. The process is exhausting, however it is essential to retain hope. I have had partial seizures before, but the vast majority of mine have been tonic-clonic, formerly known as grand mal, meaning that losing complete consciousness and falling is an inevitability. Though the fits themselves can be alarming for those around me, I am obviously never present to witness them. To me, the fall has always been the most dangerous aspect of my epilepsy. Falling whilst conscious can be hazardous enough, but when you are unconscious, you cannot feel pain. So you could, for example, fall onto broken glass and not realise you were injured until regaining full consciousness. While some people do get a warning before they have a seizure, I rarely do, so I have to be mindful around water, fire, roads, stairs and anything else that could hurt me if I came into contact with it during a seizure. There is a fine line between mindfulness and anxiety and sometimes my mind can unwittingly venture into the latter. After my diagnosis, I found that what if were two words that became increasingly prominent in my thoughts. What if I have a fit in the road? What if I have a fit in the bath? What if I have a fit when I'm alone? These are of course all valid questions, but allowing them to dictate every aspect of my life would prevent me from doing almost anything. There are certain things such as driving that I accepted would not be safe for me to do a long time ago, but I believe that imposing excessive restrictions on myself due to my condition would have caused me a lot of unhappiness over the years. This is a subjective viewpoint. Not everyone with epilepsy has the luxury of this kind of freedom. As I stated at the beginning, this is only my experience of it, nothing more, nothing less. Having to deal with my epilepsy and all of its consequences did have an impact on my education. Whilst the seizures are of course the definitive aspect of the condition, the recovery periods, particularly after a fall, and side effects of the various medications are also very time consuming. Although I had a very good support system at school, I unavoidably took a lot of sick days and due to my poor attendance record I was politely asked to leave after completing my GCSEs. Fortunately I was able to take a year out and recuperate. After doing so, I joined a nearby college, finished my A-levels and later went on to university. My main advice for those with epilepsy seeking to do the same would be to learn how to communicate with others about your condition. Whilst talking about your physical and emotional self may seem like a huge obstacle initially, once you overcome that barrier it does become easier. It took me a little longer than most, however in the end I graduated from university with a 2-1 and to this day it's one of my proudest achievements. Although it's a difficult condition to live with, if I was given the option to, I would not change being born with it. I don't mean to sound as if I like having epilepsy. That would not only be insincere, but insulting to the millions of people around the world dealing with the fallout of it on a daily basis. If I could be cured of it tomorrow, then I would jump at the chance. However, without ever having had it, I'm not sure that I would have the same understanding of or appreciation for the issues that disabled people face be it prejudice, a complete lack of social and financial support, or insufficient or non-existent healthcare. Through having it, I've learnt so much about myself and have been able to develop into a person that I can be proud of. Thank you, Yasmin. Thank you for writing that article for the website and your honesty. You're very welcome. <laughs> Let's start by going back to the day of the first seizure. From your point of view, Kate, mm-hmm. yep. what happened? Well, I knew that Yasmin was at her friend's birthday party. I mean, she was only 
13 and a half so it was a daytime an early party at the family home and I got a call in the afternoon from Yasmin's friend actually saying that yeah, your daughter's had a fit which of course we had no history no you know I, I thought maybe she was panicked calmed her down and said well no she wouldn't be having a fit what's happened what's wrong presuming maybe she'd got a bit overexcited maybe fainted so I had a little chat and you actually were conscious you, you'd obviously become conscious again and you didn't want me to come and get you because I think everyone was confused at what had happened nobody really knew obviously it was frightening you know you explained to me how everybody was frightened and so on but it wasn't it was quite an unusual seizure in comparison to the ones that followed so I mean at first I didn't you know I didn't panic I just thought she'd had a faint and now she'd come round, she'd been all right, and she didn't want me to go and get her. So there was no, you didn't go to hospital or anything? No, no, I actually didn't. They didn't call an ambulance or anything uh, for my first seizure. I um, I think everyone was just a bit confused because I didn't have a history of them or anything. No, nothing like nothing. that had ever happened mm. before. My friend's older sister was there and she was actually a doctor. You know, generally the advice is everyone can have a seizure once in their life. So if you have one, you know, the general advice is not to panic because it doesn't mean you have epilepsy. It's when you have a second one, then you have to get checked out and start having the tests and things like that. Yeah. When you saw each other again at the end of the day, mm -hmm. what was the conversation? When I got, as I say, when I got that call, I didn't even consider the fact that Sophia had said, oh, you know, I think she's had a fit. I just completely dismissed that because it's again as you said it's not anything that we have any family history or knowledge of or no indication that this might happen so I just dismissed it really and I was concerned when she got back that she was all right she hadn't hurt herself I presumed it was a faint mm. it was only when I got the you know when the second one came that I realized something was very wrong and I think it would have been very different had I witnessed it I think the fact that I wasn't there and I didn't see what happened? I had to rely on her friend. Yeah, I definitely think had you been there, it would have been. It would have been very different. Yeah. I'd also, though, prior to having the seizure, I had been getting a lot of headaches yeah. in the year running up to that. Obviously, now looking back, was probably an indication of or forerunner to the epilepsy. Yeah. But we didn't realise that at the time. You know, I had been to hospital actually to for the headaches. Yeah, yeah, for the headaches, but we just didn't know what it, what it was, and they didn't really tell us anything. They put it down to puberty. Yeah. Same. The one thing that alarmed me when I did ask Yasmin when she came home and she, she said, well, I was aware of looking over here, but seeing what was going on, it was like her yeah, that sight was, when was back I... to front. And I thought, well, that's a bit strange, mm -hmm. maybe a bang on the head. That was after I came round from the first seizure. I remember when I was looking ahead at one friend, actually my sight was directed, for example, to the right, so I couldn't actually focus. I remember being a little bit alarmed, but again... You know, I couldn't relate it to anything because my own experience was zero at that stage. Mm. Um, okay, so seizure two, what was the gap? It was two months, just over two months. Six months? No. no. Huh. The first one was in October and the second one was December, 27th of December. And what happened there? Uh, Yasmin was visiting her friend and it was just her over for the evening, so not in a group. And I got a call that evening and... I was told that she'd started to talk incoherently and then uh, lost consciousness for about 20 minutes and upon waking up was very sick. I mean, I felt a sense of shock mm. and I said that I would come and pick her up. 
straight away. And I knew because it was at her friend's house where the first one had happened, I think her anxiety came through to me on the phone. I realised something was very wrong and I just felt a sort of sense of panic and wanting to get her home. Again, not equating that with epilepsy because my experience of epilepsy was zero at that stage. I just knew instinctively something was very wrong. And Yasmin, what's your memory of that? Actually, my memory of those first seizures is very foggy, I think, because I was on quite strong medication after that. I sort of struggle, actually, a lot of the medication and the seizures as well have a real impact on the memory. That's definitely one thing that I found through having epilepsy, so I kind of struggle to remember a lot of those earlier ones kind of rely on my mum to fill me in with those sort of things. Like I, I mean, I vaguely remember being there, but not really being present. It leaves I you... I remember the first one very clearly, because I actually remember falling back, and I remember being conscious with that one. The second one, I don't really remember. Because you lost consciousness, and I later found out from paramedics that tonic-clonic seizure is for the body and the mind, like running the marathon. So the exhaustion and the time it can take to, to fully regain full consciousness. Very often when I would pick Yasmin up, she wouldn't really be aware of what, she'd just feel very sick, headache, and just want to get home and be able to lie down. So I would say that it's very important to keep a diary, a seizure diary, and write down anything that you, you're told or that you witness or that you see, because that can be very helpful down the line when you speak to a neurologist. Mm because there are so many different types of epilepsy. Second seizure happens, what happens after that? After that, we then went to our GP. Because Yasmin was under 16, we were referred to uh, just a general paediatric outpatient where she was seen by a junior doctor and it was determined that this probably was epilepsy, but there weren't any particular tests or anything done at that point. Um, She was just put onto a drug, which as the drug went up, she began to to get a lot worse. So was that the first time epilepsy was mentioned with the doctor? Did you think of it before? My GP suggested that as she'd had two, she should be um, referred to a neurologist, but we didn't actually see the consultant himself. We were fielded through the outpatient clinic and saw junior doctors who I, you know, looking back now, unfortunately that wasted a lot of time. It was. I mean, they were... They were still, you know, they they did their best, but obviously, um, I think they because, did. But because tests, I, I think no. because I was very young at the time, and we didn't know anything about epilepsy at all. We really needed someone to help educate us, I suppose, on the condition, and we were just lost in a sea of confusion and desperation. Really, at the time, it was really quite dire at the beginning. So, what were your feelings around that time? Were you thinking about it all the time? Like, what is it? To be honest, I remember. When I first got diagnosed, although I found the medication quite difficult to deal with, I mean, you know, it, it is a bit of a, like, a bit like a bomb going off in your life and suddenly, you know, all these seizures and the medication with the heavy side effects and things like that. I kind of just took it in my stride and tried to get on with my life as much as possible because I didn't really want to let it affect everything too much. I mean, I still tried to go out with my friends who were really supportive. You know, luckily my school was supportive as well, you know, my family too. My dad wrote to, uh, he read a book about epilepsy and wrote to the neurologist who wrote it. He agreed to see us at the National Hospital in central London and from there my treatment just got so much better. He was wonderful and really made a big difference to my life. You know, that can't be sort of overstated enough. Mm. He, was, he was really amazing. 
He was um, a lifesaver at the time, I think. Yeah, and I think he was, he probably saw me for about nine years or ten years maybe even. Until he retired. Yeah, yeah. How long was it between the second seizure and then you saw this neurologist? I was at the first hospital probably for about a year or two. So that was a tough Yeah, that was the worst period, I think. I mean, I don't remember a lot from that time because the drugs were really strong. And um, I think just dealing with being a young teenager and sort of trying to find your way and homework, even silly little things like that, and, and coping with the change that having such a serious condition is going to make, accepting that. So, yeah, I sort of struggled to remember those kind of times. What were the frequency of seizures during that period? I'm not so sure. I think we have the seizure diary here. I think they were quite sporadic. I don't think they were necessarily well, after so the f- regular. Well, after the first two, we then go into 2005 and you... So the, the second one was the 27th of December. Yeah. And you've got the 11th of January, complained of a headache, weird breathing, feeling sick and headache... By the 29th of January, you had a very bad one here at the computer, mm. which at the time I was in the kitchen washing up with, um, I had headphones, music on, but her younger sister was in here and witnessed it. As I turned at the kitchen door and the look of fear on her sister's face, I knew something. I took my headphones off and she said, Mum, Yasmin, Yasmin's at the computer. And of course, at that time, we didn't know the screen was a trigger. At that time, she was showing photosensitive epilepsy, and the EEG had picked that up. You had that done on the in the February, soon after that third seizure. But I don't know about frequency. I mean, it was probably every well, couple of months. Or yeah, no. Again, it? you had another one then in March. So yeah, I mean, you could have maybe every few months. Yeah, easily two in a week, two a month. Um, Is this on your mind all the time? Um, I think now, 11 years, uh, I've had to train myself not to be overwhelmed by it all the time because that has a very negative impact on everybody, but particularly Yasmin. I think because with the best will in the world, I've tried not to be overprotective, but I have been. I've, you know, there are times you try and preempt these things and then you learn that you can't. You can't predict when it's going to strike or when it's going to happen. You've just got to be practical and capable if it does. But that does take time and adjustment. I tried. I tried the best that I could. I mean, I I look back now and I can see the error of my ways sometimes. But that's just fear. And fear feeds on itself. So I think you need to manage. And I think as a parent, that's something you do need to. It's a very easy thing to become frightened by it but you have to remember it's the most frightening thing for the person suffering it you're only going to make that worse if your own fears become obvious or overwhelming yes men like you and your friends and your sister how are they my sister she's quite scared of it still i think she's quite she gets quite emotional talking about it and she's Um, younger than you she is she's two years younger than me i think it was definitely something my sister had to kind of uh, face when it comes to, when it came to de- dealing with my seizures and i think it's probably something that she's still combating a little bit because it's not nice to watch someone you love in any kind of state of disarray it's horrible it is i would hate to see anyone like but it that it is quite a visual thing and it's a very it is a very visual thing it's you um struggle to breathe you know yeah biting your tongue you know blood and you know obviously if there's a fall as well there can be injuries so you know your limbs might be at funny angles so it is a very visual 
I mean, this is specifically with tonic-clonic seizures, obviously not with all of them. Um, this is just in relation to my, my own personal seizures. The best thing to do, so people know, if somebody has a seizure in front of them? Well, it does vary, I think, with depending on what seizures you have, but for mine anyway, it's just putting someone in the recovery position. I mean, I think there's lots of misinformation, like, you know, with the putting a spoon in someone's mouth, terrible idea. You shouldn't you know. put anything into somebody's mouth. It's a, a fallacy, you're swallowing the tongue. Oh, this is a misinformation that's been out there. People don't swallow their tongues. It used to be that you would be advised to ha hold the tongue down. This now is, is incorrect. You mustn't put anything in the mouth. The only thing you can really do is make sure that the person isn't in any immediate danger. If they've got glass, they've, if they've fallen on something, a cigarette, burning yeah. cigarette, something like that. And then once the stiff jerking has finished, to try and get them comfortable in the recovery position until they, they come around. I mean, obviously, if there's an injury due to the fall, my advice always would be to call an ambulance. They are the best people to assess the situation. Mm. And when it's actually happening and say somebody is m moving around, leave them to do that? Yeah, I mean, you, you, can't, you shouldn't physically try and restrain somebody when they're actually seizing. I know, because um, they can be, well, we, we <laughs> can be really strong. I mean, I think strong. I nearly broke my mum's arm one time, yeah. I think, when I was having a seizure. Trying to get back up. Kind of like the Hulk. Um, yeah. yeah, that's true. Before medication, that was a, yeah. your resistance to the seizure was great. Yasmin would try and get back up. Um, so obviously I would try and not restrain her, but keep her safe. Um, because the thing with tonic-clonic is that with some people, when they, their consciousness comes back, you may think they've regained full consciousness. They haven't at all. They're not aware of what's going on. There's levels of mm. recovery. So it can take a good hour before you, I could actually say to Yasmin, this is what's happened, and that she would comprehend. So I think definitely there needs to be a lot more information out there about what can happen when somebody has a tonic-clonic seizure. When the person comes around? My only experience is with my daughter. She's always very sweet-tempered when she comes around and very loving and affectionate. I know with other people, they can be quite aggressive. It's just part of the condition. Depends, you need to, you need to ascertain how conscious you think they are because I used to make the mistake of sometimes trying to explain to Yasmin what had happened too soon, and it would just add to her confusion and anxiety. So I've learned to sometimes just say, you're fine, you're okay, and I'll brush it off until she's really come back round, and then I'll say, you've had a seizure, and explain. And there'd still be quite a lot of confusion, did I? And maybe no recollection, so somebody might not even know that that's happened to them. So you can just explain calmly, but I think you need to wait a little bit, otherwise it can be very confusing. It's sort of like a memory reboot sometimes. Well, maybe not even a reboot, but it can, like an electric shock to the brain, I suppose. It has a really strange effect, so. There are, the, like you say, levels to consciousness. I mean, some of my friends have said it's almost like I'm really drunk sometimes when I come round. Because, Unfortunately, that's... Uh, and yeah. yeah, I mean, this is a problem as well with, with seizures, obviously. A lot of the time they can be associated with drugs or with alcohol. Unfortunately, it can be quite dangerous because strangers might leave you, you know, and think, oh, this person's, you know, out of it or whatever. Ever had that? I think Yasmin and a group of her friends were travelling back home on the bus, and Yasmin had a seizure on the bus. And one of her friends spoke to the driver and explained, but he wouldn't have it. He insisted that they were drunk, 
or that she was drunk, that they would have to get off the bus. Her friends were upset. I think somebody started crying and said, please, could you call an ambulance? Other passengers were quite irate about everybody getting off, these young kids. So there was a, that was a very bad experience for them all. The bus driver put them off the bus and said he would call an ambulance, and he didn't. He drove away and he didn't. And I later got a call from one of her friends who was very distressed. Assumptions made because people are ignorant about the symptoms um, and it, it can appear that somebody may be drunk. The same with diabetes. I think when people have a hypo, I've heard this same complaint that they've been treated as though they're drunk. And in fact, they're not. I mean, again, this isn't the same for everyone. Epilepsy is so diverse. There's so much uh, range within the condition. Like you said at the beginning, you know, there is 40 different types of it. And even within, you know, even if you have the same type as someone else, because of the different drugs and the different side effects, how many seizures you have, it really does range from person to person. So other than your sister, Yasmin, you and your friends, uh, you're getting you know, older, teenagers, wanting to go out more, be more independent. How was that? Well, I was, I was lucky to have a really sort of um, strong support system at school, um, as I mentioned in the article, because they were with me during my first seizure. That made it a lot easier because I didn't have to explain to them what epilepsy was, what it looks like or what it entails. They just accepted it straight away. From talking to other people who have epilepsy, that's not always the case. Lots of young people that I've worked with, with the condition, have lost friends um, through admitting that they have it. You know, people want nothing to do with them. I mean, it's really shocking. And I know that I'm quite lucky in my experience that my friends were just really accepting and wanted me, you know, they wanted to facilitate me going out. They wanted to make it as safe. They wanted to, my mum to know that they was, that I was safe with them. I don't think without that, that support that, that I would be as independent as I am today. So I'm, I am definitely very lucky and I'm still friends with all of them today. Okay, how did you feel when she was going out more? Well, as she said, her friends, I mean, I felt a huge love for them because I knew at that age it would be very easy to say, we'd love Yasmin to come along, but what if? What if she had a seizure? What, you know, we'd have to cope with that. It was the absolute opposite. As she said, they would phone me and say, please, can Yasmin come with us? We're gonna, we'll find out whether St John's ambulance showing me great responsibility and care towards her. For me, it was very important, the life that she was able to enjoy. I mean, things did, you know, that she could, she could go out and wholeheartedly enjoy that. So I, you know, I was fully supportive of that because of her friends showing such concern and responsibility for the age that they were, 14, 15, that's young. I had a lot of respect for them and I still do. They're all very close. I think one thing that I found as I've got a bit older, I mean, with my, old, with my old group of friends, because they were with me during my first seizure, they did understand pretty much straight away. As I've got older, explaining to people who have no experience of epilepsy that I do have it, I found that there's a lot of misinformation out there, as I said earlier. And people just tend to immediately think of photosensitive epilepsy. I think, you know, when you watch the news and, the, you know, they'll always say, oh, this report contains flashing imagery or whatever. So it always reinforces, you know, photosensitive mm. epilepsy, photosensitive. And even speaking to people with other people with epilepsy, they always talk about how everyone thinks they can't look at strobes or flashing lights and how annoying that gets. Because I don't, I, I'm not sure on the figures of people with how, what the percentage is. But the majority of people that I've met anyway actually don't suffer from photosensitive epilepsy so there just needs to maybe be a bit more information out there for people because it is such a common condition uh, you know a lot of people suffer from it whether it's you know under control or not 
is it is the understanding much better than it was 10 years ago I don't know about the understanding. I think the exchanging of information down because of social media and people making their own groups, I think that's probably been beneficial. If I'd had groups maybe when Yasmin was first diagnosed, I had access to the internet, but I had no idea of where to go. There was no immediate information and none given to me by the hospitals. There was no epilepsy nurse. That all came much later, and of course, with a, a specialist nurse, there's a lot more correct information, advice, and also somebody that I could phone immediately. If Yasmin was having a seizure, the nurse could connect me to the neurologist she would discuss, then phone back. So that helped, but that all came a bit later on, and I hope it's a lot better today. Yeah, I mean, I think um, even 11 years ago when I was first diagnosed, the internet was very different place to where it is now. Definitely. I mean, obviously, social media has has uh, been invented since then, which has made a massive difference, not just to connecting people with disabilities, but connecting people in general. And also forums have come a long way too. It's not just a minority of people using the internet now. Every, almost everyone has it, whether it's on a phone or tablet or mm. you know, a laptop. So it makes it much easier to find others who are experiencing similar things. But essentially, there does need to be more done you know, by the government. Well, I think in schools they could, particularly with things like epilepsy, because it is a common condition. And if you don't have it, somebody directly in your family may come into contact with somebody who does. I don't know. I think I don't. I don't know about necessarily schools, but I definitely think it's important to educate people through things, even something as simple as television. I know recently on EastEnders there was a storyline. Young epilepsy actually made me aware of it. Uh, one of the characters has epilepsy and. Um, I think it's important, even something like that, you know, EastEnders has a massive amount of viewers every every week, so it's, it's a really good way to get awareness of the, of the condition. Yasmin, you mentioned in your article about the medication being harder than the seizures themselves. Could you elaborate? Personally, for me, I found the side effects of the medications to be really pronounced, and up until very recently, I haven't really had a medication that has kept my seizures under control. Having to take medications every day when I'm getting regular side effects and I'm still having seizures as well, it can feel a bit pointless and it can feel like an uphill struggle sometimes. I think, you know, you can begin to lose hope and it can be a little bit depressing, unfortunately. I think it becomes a bit isolating. That's a big problem with epilepsy. I mean, there's lots and lots of medications. I've I've been on loads of them at various times throughout the 11 years and... Some of them have been better than others. They do have quite serious side effects, a lot of them. Um, you know, some of them depression, or some of them can make the seizures worse, which I've experienced. I, generally, the seizures I get are tonic-clonic, but one of the medications that I used to take when I was about 17 gave me really bad myclonic jerks. You're conscious, but you shake, your whole body begins to shake really badly. Um, so I got those for a period of time, and that was a side effect of the medication. Hallucinations sometimes. I mean, the list of side effects is endless that, uh, you know, that you get in the box with the pills, because I suppose, you know, the pharma companies want to cover themselves. How do they choose which one you go on and then how do you know that you're on a correct one? Initially they'll put you on one drug. They usually have a sort of base drug, so the main drug which is it's quite difficult to explain. So they have a base drug, at the moment the base drug I'm on is Epilem or sodium valproate and then they have other drugs that they put in to react with it to see what the chemical reaction will be. It's all done on trial and error essentially with epilepsy. They'll see how it goes 
how you get on with it. If you uh, don't have a seizure for a while, then they'll think, okay, this is working, and leave it. And if you have another seizure, they'll try something else. So as soon as you have another seizure, they try something else? Um, not, not necessarily after one, but if you consistently have a few, then they will decide to take you off one, slowly, 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 bring you up on another. So you have to transition, you can't just go on to something else? No, no, they, I mean, it, I think the transition period can usually take six months if you're coming off one and then going back on to another. And usually you'll still stay on the base drug as well. During that transition period, if you're continuing to have seizures, you just have to keep, I mean, it's a transition, I suppose, you just keep going through it until you're onto the new one? Yeah. Well, I, I did that very recently. I've, um, I haven't actually touched wood, had a seizure since uh, September now, I think. I had a transition quite recently, but it took a long time. I mean, I'm s still kind of just finishing it now. It can take up to sort of eight months sometimes, depending on, you know, you can change the length or extend it if, if you feel that it's going too quickly. If the side effects are a bit too pronounced, then you can slow it down a bit because they usually prefer to do it a bit slower. It's better, With I think. increments, they have, because of the drugs are so strong, they start on a lower dose and they, they have to go up in small steps every two weeks. And then I think there's a ceiling level that they can't go over. So obviously if there isn't seizure control at that top level, they rethink if, as was the case in a couple of the medications where it was very adverse effect, it had a very adverse effect for Yasmin. You can't just come off it immediately. You have to come down very slowly. No, and if you, if you take yourself off the medications without coming off gradually you will I mean this is pretty much a definite thing you will start having seizures like really bad seizures you come off the medications without any medical supervision and without doing it gradually and without having another medication in place the seizures can be really really bad as I sort of found out when I was younger and I just took myself off the medication because it wasn't doing anything so secretly you did that yeah yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> I did do it secretly yeah and how, how did you find out um, I think you told me. I think I did admit it in the end because, yeah, they, I, I sort of found out quite quickly that it was not a good idea. <laughs> yeah. I think I was just sort of a young, I was just a young teenager and I was fed up of everything and I was just, I was still having the seizures, I was on heavy medication, heavy side effects and I just felt like this isn't doing anything so why should I just, you know, I just felt like why should I carry on? Why should I do it, you know, to appease these doctors who are saying that it's going to help and it's not helping. But essentially it's a stupid attitude to have. I mean, it, even if they're not necessarily stopping your seizures, they will be in some way keeping them under control, whether it's shortening the length of them or, you know, preventing certain tendencies that happen with the seizures. So mm. I used to get a loss of bladder control when I wasn't yeah. on any medication. Um, violently sick and violently sick and that did stop when I was on and it would go on for a lot longer I mean as yeah. I've witnessed so many I would say there's, there is a big difference with the medications as opposed to when Yasmin was having seizures before any medication so definitely even the bad medications did they make have a difference, made a difference. Yeah. it's just it's a trade-off because although they might make the seizures a little bit better there's a whole host of side effects mm. including exhaustion it's really important to kind of hone that into anyone who's listening, who has epilepsy, who's maybe not seeing an immediate difference through taking medication. Just stay with it. It can feel, it can feel like an uphill struggle, but hopefully you'll get there in the end. I mean, you know, it will, it is making a difference in some way. Definitely. You know, it's better than being on no medication. 
I mean, the side effects can be awful, but just talk to your doctor, just be honest and say, that's the best thing to do is just tell them that you're not, you know, you need to change medication. If you do, that's fine, but don't just take yourself off it because it will make everything so much worse. It's really the worst thing you can do. The way the medication's administered, tablets? Yeah. Like, I mean, how many are you on currently? Well, different medications at the moment. I'm on three, but I take five tablets a day. That's spread out throughout the day? Uh, well, five tablets in the morning, five tablets at night, actually. So twice a day. And it is really quite important to space them out evenly. evenly yeah. That Twelve can affect gaps. people uh, very differently. Yeah. Mm. So I would advise that it, you space it evenly between yeah. the 24 hours. Yeah. Your article where you talk about a lot of good has come from it. Mm even though the thing itself is not good. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And then it must be that the relationship between you two is one of those things. I think so. I think yeah. it's actually strengthened my bonds, not just with my family, but also with my friends as well. Because I rely on other people to keep me safe at certain times, you know, I have to put my trust in people wholly. And in doing that, it's, it does strengthen bonds. And it's a lovely thing in that sense. But obviously, you know, the actual condition itself is pain in the arse. Yeah, I mean, we've spent a lot of time together. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And we and been through a lot. And, you know, my mum and my dad and my sister have all been really supportive throughout the whole thing. And I think it has brought us all closer together. It's been horrible at times, but when progress has finally been made, it's also, you know, a celebratory thing altogether, I think, which is nice. Initially, I was a typical parent, like, how can this... Did I do so? what could I do? And then I took my cue from Yasmin, who always just would get up, dust herself down and get back on with life, never self-pitying, never why me, never. As Yasmin would say, Mum, there are a lot worse things people are dealing with. It would humble me a little bit. So I think, in a way, I got strength in dealing with it from the way Yasmin dealt with it. I hope that my fear and negativity didn't didn't overshadow that with you? No, I don't think it did. And also, I mean, aside from strengthening bonds with people I love, I think through having epilepsy, I've met so many amazing people who I would never have met if I hadn't had a disability. You know, it's, it's really opened my eyes to not just people dealing with specifically with epilepsy, but with a range of other disabilities, other political issues as well, which has been great for me. I mean, I really love that. It's mm. important given me a bit of fire in my belly, I think. And you're involved with an epilepsy charity today? Last year, my epilepsy nurse recommended that I talk to the London Transition Support Worker for Young Epilepsy. So I got in contact with her and then I started volunteering, I think, last summer. Um, and they work with mostly sort of teenagers, some younger children uh, in London, to kind of just connect connect people with epilepsy and yeah it's been it's been great I love I love working with them it's great to talk to younger people with epilepsy and actually I would it's something that I would have really liked to have had when I was younger they need a lot more funding because unfortunately it does cost money I think they're only doing it in four places in the country at the moment it's only been going two years hopefully it'll take off and and eventually it'll be something they can do in a few more places because it is a really good project and epilepsy is so common that it could definitely benefit a lot of people you know, it does isolate people, particularly, I think, children and teenagers. Do you have any final advice for people dealing with epilepsy? 
my sort of final advice would just be to learn to talk about it if you if you haven't done done so already I did mention it briefly in my article but for me that's sort of been a bit of a lifesaver knowing how to talk about the condition I think it's so important not just to keep yourself safe you know physically but also for your mental well-being is really important because it's the first step on the road to accepting your condition is learning to talk about it and be as open as possible with people. It does sound scary at first, but it really will do the world of good. And if it's just your family at first, being a bit more open, um, and then eventually friends and, you know, taking those steps, eventually you'll get there. Just keep plodding on. <laughs> Sorry, I don't know why I said that. <laughs> and Kate, for you? Yeah, and you... I would agree absolutely with what, what Yasmin said. If, if if you're fortunate to have family and friends and but if if you don't and not everybody does i would definitely say to source the societies and the forums that have been mentioned earlier where other people can at least give you and share some of their experiences and advice oh yeah definitely there's an awful lot of misinformation so i think if people haven't got people that they can directly talk to at least the forums and the social media do offer some sort of distance support that's true yeah yeah, but talking is definitely key. Well, Yasmin, Kate, many thanks. Thank you. Thank you. This has been the first episode on epilepsy and there will be another one coming soon. In the meantime, why don't you check out our website, Yasmin? The website is www.blind-spot.net. And if you want to get in touch about epilepsy or anything else, you can email us on... Mail at blind-spot.net. And you can find us on YouTube at the Blind Spot YouTube channel. We're also on Twitter and Instagram as... Blindspotnet. Or one word. And we have a Facebook page. Just type in... The Blind Spot. And you'll find us there. You can listen to the podcast on SoundCloud and please subscribe to us on iTunes. Uh, thank you once again to Lewis McHale for providing the music for this episode and you can find more of his work at lewismchale.bandcamp.com or look him up on Facebook as uh, Lewis McHale Music. Thank you for listening. Talk soon. <laughs>